If you're running an NFT collection, right, you don't want people to just flip their NFTs right away. You want them to hold on to those because the market can't support a lot of these being sold. You know, it would just crash the price. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Just around one year ago, two literary types from Miami decided to launch a business venture. It was a couple weeks after Beeple's Everydays had sold for $69 million at Christie's, and NFTs were taking the art world by storm. Still, few could have guessed at the time that their little company, called Yuga Labs, would produce a series of cartoon apes that would become some of the most successful and divisive characters in the entire NFT universe. Today, Yuga Labs has more than 60 employees and has logged more than $2 billion in total sales. Over the past few weeks, it has gone on a tear announcing new initiatives, from the acquisition of CryptoPunks and MeBits, arguably the two other most popular NFT series, to the launch of ApeCoin, its own brand of cryptocurrency. Yuga Labs now hopes to create what is essentially a Marvel universe from all this intellectual property, and to make a lot of money along the way. Its strategy shows us what the future of the NFT space might look like but it remains unclear whether this future will benefit everyday NFT collectors and enthusiasts as much as it will the big investors and founders of companies like Yuga Labs. To unpack the wild and winding story of Yuga Labs and the Board Ape Yacht Club, Artnet News Executive Editor Julia Halperin spoke with Amy Castor, a crypto journalist who chronicled the rise of this phenomenon for our site. Thank you so much for joining us on The Art Angle, Amy. Well, thank you for having me, Julia. So, We're going to go through the wild and crazy story of the Board Ape Yacht Club. I first became aware of the existence of the Board Ape Yacht Club when celebrities started making their profile pictures into these weird ape cartoons. And as it turns out, this is probably the biggest and most influential NFT project out there at the moment. So let's start with the very basics. What is the Board Ape Yacht Club? So Board Ape Yacht Club is a collection of 10,000 NFTs that launched at the end of April 2021. They're tokens on the Ethereum blockchain, and they link to pictures of cartoon apes. And all these apes have different traits. They have different hats, some wear sunglasses, different types of fur. One might have a cigarette in its mouth. Another has a pizza. You know, one might be dressed in a space suit. Another might have all gold fur or wear earrings. They all have sort of a disinterested look on their faces. And people think they make cool profile pics on Twitter. And... The group behind the Board Ape Yacht Club is called Yuga Labs, and they were founded like the Board Apes just last year. So who is behind Yuga Labs and how did they end up founding the Board Ape Yacht Club? There's two main founders of Yuga Labs. And for a long time, they went by pseudonyms, Gargamel and Gordon Goner. But then we found out in February through BuzzFeed and links to public documents that their real names were Greg Solano and Wiley Arano. They are two sort of literary bros who met in Miami and got into some heated discussion over David Foster Wallace. They like to portray themselves as intellectual literary types, but really they're just two guys that are interested in Bitcoin and crypto. And they're in their 20s? I think maybe 30s now, but they met when they were in their 20s. Yes, as so many bromances begin, it began with David Foster Wallace. Yes. (laughs) So let's get a sense of how much money we're talking about in the Board Ape Yacht Club universe. How much did a Board Ape Yacht Club NFT cost when they first dropped in April 2021? And how much does one cost now? 
So Bored Apes, originally, when they first dropped, you could get them for 0.08 Ethereum or Ether. It was about $2,250 each, which was a good price. And they went up tenfold. Right now, actually, even more than that, the cheapest you can buy one for is 106 Ether. So about $360,000 based on what I saw last night. Some have sold for millions of dollars. And in September, a whole bundle of Bored Ape NFTs sold for around $24 million in crypto on Sotheby's. And what makes some of the most desirable Bored Apes? Like, is there a particular characteristic? Obviously, the rarest ones are the most valued. You know, some people like Bored Apes for particular reasons. Like one person I spoke to that lives in Texas, he really liked the one with the spacesuit on. You know, people will gravitate to them for personal reasons based on how they look. But certain attributes are more scarce or rare than others. And that's sort of the whole idea between NFT collections is that some are more rare and therefore they'll fetch more money. And there's been a lot of change and upheaval in the Board Ape Yacht Club universe over the past few weeks, which we'll get into a little bit more later. But for now, help me understand what made Board Ape Yacht Club special when it first launched and how did it get so much attention so quickly? Right. So when it first launched, a lot of the people that bought Board Ape Yacht Club were on NBA Top Shop. And they were sort of looking for a, a new investment opportunity. And CryptoPunks, which started in 2017, those had gotten kind of really expensive. A lot of people had been priced out of those. So the idea is really to kind of find what project's going to be hot and get in early. So when Board Apes Yacht Club launched, there were some big, notable NFT investors like Pranksy, Dingling, and Jimmy ETH. And they started buying large amounts of these Bored Ape NFTs. As people were buying them, they were changing their Twitter profile pics to these apes. And that was sort of a signal that, hey, people are going to jump into this project. So a lot of people tried to get in at the floor level. So that was why it got attention early on. And then it grew because the way it was marketed. First of all, I mean, you had somebody like Pranksy on NFT investor, and he bought like over a thousand board apes, and then he would sell them on the secondary market of OpenSea or whatever. So it was almost like a market maker buying these up and then reselling them to people that wanted to get in early. So there was some early signaling that this might go up in price. And the other thing that people sort of liked was this idea that if you bought a board ape NFT, you would own the IP to that. Ape, so you could make t-shirts or print your apes on underwear and sell those. And that's something you couldn't do with a crypto punk. <laughs> no, you couldn't do it with as a much as one might want to. <laughs> as much as you might want. And just to rewind a minute, you mentioned that some of the kind of early adopters of board apes became aware of it on NBA Top Shop. Can you explain what that is? Oh, sure. That is another blockchain project. It was sort of like an early NFT collectible project where you're getting these little sports packets of trading cards that sold as NFTs. A lot of these early investors were on the NBA Top Shot website, but one of the frustrations they had was it wasn't easy to get your money off that system. So people were frustrated. They were looking for something else to invest in. And this was at a time also when NFTs were getting really big. So Board Ape Yacht Club launched at the end of April. And I mean, just the prior month is when the whole Beeple NFT sold for close to 70 million at Christie's. And that brought a lot of attention to NFTs. Well, and it's interesting to me, the dynamic 
that you were discussing about kind of early adopters buying in bulk and then sort of selling off piecemeal, because I'm always looking for ways that the NFT market, which still seems somewhat opaque to me, is similar or different from the art market. And in that way, you know, that's a tried and true tactic for an emerging art collector who may make a relationship early on with an artist a year or two out of school, buy a bunch of work by them in bulk, you know, might buy 20 paintings or buy out their studio. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, they have this big stake in an artist's work. And over time, they might sell them off or they might, you know, if the prices are going up, they might sell off a bunch and kind of get out. And that can have real lasting impacts on the long-term market for the artist. And so it's interesting to me that that big fish dynamic also plays into the NFT market as well. Yeah, it's hard to justify that a board Ape NFT is worth $300,000 based on the art. <laughs> they're cartoon apes. They're cute, you know, but is it worth that kind of money? I mean, generally, the people that are buying these up, they're investors, you know, these are people that are on Robinhood all the time that are looking to make money in the cryptocurrency space. Some of them have their own NFT projects. So it might be a little bit different than the Yeah, world. although I don't know. I don't want to be too kind to these art collectors either because it's also in so many ways for so many of them a financial Uh play. Well, interesting. Okay. There's some bad art that sells for $300,000 too. (laughs) So, you know, it's not a board eight, but it is sort of all the product of a manipulated market in that way. Mm So you spoke to a few of these elusive owners of Bored Apes for the piece that you wrote for us. And I wonder if you could tell us about one or two of them. You know, who are they and what do they want out of their apes? Sure. I spoke to somebody by the name of Drew Austin. He's a tech investor. He has his own NFT project. I spoke to Franklin Caldwell and he's an engineer. He's a structural analysis engineer. And I spoke to another fellow named Chris Chapman, who heads a construction business, and he also has his own NFT project. So what I got was they mainly see them as an investment opportunity. Now, two of the three I spoke to have their own NFT projects, and that's not uncommon. A lot of these folks that are kind of talking about the Board Ape NFT they own have their own NFT project. And for instance, in my interviews, they, they spent a lot of time pitching me on their own NFT projects. And so owning a Board Ape NFT is sort of like a badge of success. Hey, I'm a smart investor. I'm going to start my own NFT project. And they use that as a way to kind of pull in investors for their own projects. And then Franklin Caldwell, who I spoke with, I don't know that he had his own NFT project. He didn't mention it. But for example, he sees it as a passive form of investment. And He's looking for what other NFTs are they going to drop that I can take and sell and was also very excited about ApeCoin coming along, you know, so he figured that he could hold on to a portion of his board apes. I mean, he had like 36 and he had just sold one. He had 37 when the Ukraine war started in the Ukraine because he didn't know what the economy was going to look like. He was an investor and he thought maybe he could hold on to a portion of these and just kind of get whatever came along that was associated with them, like free money or dividends. The idea that you can get things that are associated with a board Ape NFT, as far as I understand it, the idea is that once you buy one of these, you know, you're sort of part of this club community and you get benefits as time goes on. So you might get, you know, a sort of surprise reward for your loyalty, which is some sort of derivative NFT. Can you explain a little bit about the perks that come 
with owning a board ape? So, yeah, there's a bunch of different perks. One is you get into parties. <laughs> so they have an annual ape fest now and they have one planned this year. And last year they had one in New York and there was like a big warehouse party in Brooklyn. There was an actual party on a yacht in, <laughs> in the middle of New York. And the warehouse party, there were all these big artists. There was Beck and Little Baby. They were playing music and you got free beer. So they have access to those sort of shindigs. There was a, a mutant ape NFT that dropped and you can use that NFT to create your mutant ape. Those apes, you know, they sell in open sea for a significant amount of money. There was like the kennel dog NFT. So your board ape would have a pet and you could sell those too. So there's these sort of perks that come along. There's other little rewards and games that they have. I mean, in some ways, I feel like the idea that your board ape could become a passport to real life events, to virtual things happening in the metaverse, as you've written about, it's really an attempt to create utility out of these objects. And I wonder, too, if part of it is to create this sense of community or aspiration for people on the outside among board ape holders. So if I have one, I feel like I'm part of a fraternity or sorority. And if I don't, then I feel like I want to be part of the in crowd. Do you have a sense that part of the pitch is to create this kind of community? Yeah, it's a community. It's a sense of excitement. It's sort of like getting people involved, keep people interested. If you're running an NFT collection, right, you don't want people to just flip their NFTs right away. You want them to hold on to those because the market can't support a lot of these being sold, you know, would just crash the price. Even with the Board Ape Yacht Club, they do things to keep the floor price above a certain level. And you get this media attention. I mean, every time the Board Ape Yacht Club project does something, you see it in Verge, Vice, New York Times. It's just all over the media, right? Everybody's talking about it. So you want to keep that momentum going. And you've talked about that guiding principle being part of a reason why celebrities are such good ambassadors for Bored Apes? Yeah, there's been a phenomenon in this project where we see all these celebs are kind of hopping in and buying Bored Apes. And then they'll make the announcement on social media and then they'll say, thank you, MoonPay. MoonPay is a company that sort of does the purchasing of it. So you don't have to purchase your Bored Ape in Ethereum. You just can give MoonPay cash and they'll take care of the background work for you. Recently, Madonna just bought, I want to be careful saying the word bought. She announced on social media that she was an owner of a Bored Ape NFT. And it's not really clear if she bought that herself with her own money or it was gifted to her or she got some kind of a discount on it or somebody gave it to her so she would help promote the project. You know, her manager also is a manager of Yuga Labs. So it's really no surprise that she now owns a Bored Ape NFT. Is Yuga Labs one that's also represented by a major Hollywood talent agency as well? So CryptoPunks is represented by United Artists and Yuga Labs is represented by Guy Osieri. Who's Madonna's manager. Yeah. Okay, got it. Tangled Web. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the sort of marathon recent history of Yuga Labs, because a lot has happened over the last two weeks. They've made a number of moves that suggest that 
they want to kind of consolidate and dominate the NFT space. So give us a brief rundown of all that's happened over the last 14 days. Yeah, so on March 11th, sort of out of the blue, Yuga Labs announced that they just purchased the IP for CryptoPunks and MeBits, <laughs> which were the other two high-value, most popular NFT collections that were trading. And that was run by an outfit called Larva Labs, right? And CryptoPunks was started in 2017. So Yuga Labs acquired the IP for that. So that was kind of a big deal. And it was really interesting, the timing on that, because the war in the Ukraine had just started and the floor price, the floor price being the lowest you can buy a Bored Ape NFT for was dropping. It had dropped under 250000 in Ether, and it was sort of like now below 200000 So on a Friday, all of a sudden out of the blue, Yuga Labs makes this announcement that they've purchased the IP to CryptoPunks and MeBits, and the floor price goes back up over the weekend. So that was kind of a big thing. The monetization structure is different. With the Bored Ape Yacht Club, they get royalty. They get like 2.5% of every Bored Ape that is sold, right? With Punks and MeBits, you don't get royalty, but they had what's called the developer NFT. So they got 400 Punks and about 1,700 MeBits. And they gave the IP to the owners of the Punk NFTs and MeBit NFTs. And I was sort of trying to think of an analogy that would explain how big a deal this merger was in the NFT space. Is it akin to like Delta buying Virgin Airlines and Southwest or something? I don't know what you would compare it to. I think what's interesting is that the whole idea between NFTs is they're supposed to be decentralized. You know, it's not supposed to be one outfit having control of the top three most expensive NFT projects. That's not really what it's supposed to be. All this stuff is supposed to be decentralized. So there's not one central party controlling things or calling the shots. And that's sort of what the idea that's being sold. But in reality, what we're seeing, that's not really what's happening. I mean, that's now centralizing. Hmm. And after that acquisition was announced, Yuga Labs went on a tear announcing other new initiatives. So there was ApeCoin, which is its own brand of cryptocurrency. There's a Decentralized Autonomous Organization, or DAO, for owners of that cryptocurrency. And you also wrote about some kind of game that involves virtual bananas that I will never really understand. <laughs> and it seems like, you know, the end result of all of that is that people who had a Bored Ape NFT are a whole lot richer now at the end of the month than they were at the beginning of March. So how much did these new initiatives enrich the owners of Bored Apes? And who were the big winners out of all of this activity? So the announcement of ApeCoin was a really big deal. ApeCoin is a fungible token. All the NFTs, those are non-fungible. ApeCoin is an actual cryptocurrency, right? And the same day that it was announced on March 17th. It was also listed on Coinbase, the biggest exchange in the U.S., and several other U.S. cryptocurrency exchanges. I mean, it was just instant liquidity, which is really unusual because normally you'd sort of expect these exchanges to sort of take their time, be a little cautious, make sure this isn't an obvious something that really looks like a unregistered securities offering. But no, boom, they were right there. Those who had Bored Ape NFTs or Mutant Ape NFTs, they got something like 10,000 in ApeCoin for each Bored Ape NFT they had. 
as soon as they started collecting their ape coins, it was kind of like an airdrop, but they had to go in and collect these tokens. And as soon as that happened, you saw these board ape owners announcing that they'd just become like rich overnight. So if you have like 10,000 ape coin right now, maybe the price is around $14 per ape coin. So that's $140,000 if you can sell it, assuming that the market would support everybody cashing out. So, I mean, that's significant, right? Our friend Franklin Caldwell, who had 36 board apes. I mean, it's a lot of money. It makes my mind just like fold in on itself to think about the idea that we go from cartoon apes to an imaginary currency to real money. I feel like a devotee would be like, this is where we are now. You got to catch up, Julia. This is what's happening. And it happened so quickly. Like these things didn't even exist a year ago. It's totally mind boggling, right? It it is. But they had been planning this ape token since October. They said, hey, you know, there's going to be a token coming. That fungible token is really important because it's the way that insiders and investors cash out. You know, having that token listed on Coinbase, I mean, boom. So right now, a lot of these tokens are locked up and it won't be another year before some of the backers, the VCs like Andreessen Horowitz that sort of led this recent $450 million round into Yuga Labs. They're backing the project. They get a bunch of ApeCoin in return and that's how they make money on this project, Right. Andreessen Horowitz is one of the biggest VC firms in Silicon Valley, and they've been a backer of Yuga Labs. They've been backing all these crypto projects for ages now. They're behind Coinbase, but early on they got into cryptocurrency. And they have backed a lot of NFT projects as well, NFT marketplaces, developer tools that make NFTs and all of that. So they've sort of flooded the space with lots of money, and now they're backing Yuga Labs. One thing I wonder is, you know, when you've got these very powerful investors or people who have bought a ton of apes early on and now have a ton of ape coin, is there some kind of fear that they could sort of cash out and mass and leave the lowly regular Joe owner of one board ape to hold the bag as these things become worth way less money? Absolutely. The one thing that, you know, I see as the bigger concern is seeing these big investors come in with big money, $450 million, and get all these eight coin in return. And the one thing that I want to point out is if you're an investor and you go and invest in a startup company, right? You give them some money, you help them get going. And normally, you know, it could be years before you see a liquidity event. Most of these companies will just fail. They never go anywhere. So you have to wait a long time before there's initial public offering or they get bought by another company or whatever. You know, it can take years before you see a return on your investment. That's not how it is in the cryptocurrency space at all. You can get a project that just sort of has a promise, right? Everything's going to happen in the future. In the meantime, they get cryptocurrency. And for example, this APE token looks a lot like an unregistered securities offering, right? But yet, they are able to cash out on that on Coinbase or, you know, over-the-counter markets, however they do it. They see a return on their investment really quickly. It's a win-win, right? Unless the Securities and Exchange Commission steps in and says, hey, let's stop all this. What happens is they sell all these ApeCoin on Coinbase and these exchanges 
And eventually, the price crashes on these tokens and the public gets stuck holding the bag. I mean, that money that Andreessen Horowitz and the other investors in the project, that they recoup, it doesn't come out of nowhere. That comes from retail investors buying these things who don't really understand the whole picture of what's going on. And APE does resemble unregistered securities offering. And if Securities Exchange Commission comes in and does something about it, it's going to be Yuga Labs that they charge. And Yuga Labs will have to go to court with them or pay some sort of multi-million dollar settlement fee, but not Andreessen Horowitz. So explain to me why it resembles an unregistered securities offering. So whether or not a asset is a securities offering is judged by what's called the Howey test. And basically, the Howey test attempts to determine if there's an investment of money in a common enterprise with a reasonable expectation of profits to be derived from the effort of others. So is there a common enterprise? Yes, it's Yuga Labs, right? But Yuga Labs is sort of distancing itself from the ape coin and they're saying, hey, this was launched by this other entity, which is called the ape DAO. DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Is there an expectation of profits derived from the efforts of others? Well, yes, there's been a lot of effort to lift the price of NFTs and board apes NFTs and that in turn impacts the price of ape coin. So I think there's a strong argument to be made that ApeCoin is an unregistered security offering. And I think the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, would agree, you know, but it really comes down to, is the SEC going to take some sort of action against this? You talked before about how part of Yuga Labs' job is to create these sort of rolling rewards for owners of Bored Apes to keep them engaged. And obviously, a release of ApeCoin was a big reward. But have they made any sort of future promises or alluded to future rollouts that would keep people engaged so that they don't sell off their ApeCoin? So the thing that Yuga Labs has to struggle with now is how do we make this ApeCoin look like it's not a securities offering, right? So they're doing things like, and this goes back into the history of crypto and things that uh, people within the SEC have said before in instances, for example, where a token was sufficiently decentralized, therefore it wasn't a securities offering, right? And then there's also been arguments in the cryptocurrency space about tokens that have a sufficient amount of utility, and therefore they're not a securities offering. So what you see, everything that you see going forward in this project is about making ApeCoin look like it's sufficiently decentralized, and making it look like it is a utility. So that's where all this other stuff comes in with the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, (laughs) the Ape Foundation, and giving ApeCoin a use case in these games, like the Benji Banana game, right? That's a play-to-earn game, and ApeCoin is going to be used in that game. And down the road, Yuga Labs is talking about having this other sort of game, metaverse, whatever it is, and looks like they're going to sell virtual land as NFTs, and you might need ApeCoin to buy the land. Recently, they announced that they'd start selling merchandise, and you could buy your merchandise with ApeCoins. (laughs) So there's all these things that are happening and will continue to go on. 
that are about giving ApeCoin some utility so they sort of can avoid getting into trouble with the regulators. And we'll see how that goes. <laughs> when you describe it like that, it does. It sounds like they want to create like a Marvel universe for the apes. And they want us yeah. to go into that and use the special Marvel money and the Marvel characters. And it's like this world building in a way. Yeah. It's going to be difficult because a lot of people that are holding ApeCoin, they might want to just sit on it for a while and wait for the price to go up if they think the price is going to go up, you know. They're kind of like, oh, should I sell it now? Should I dump my coins or get out or wait for the price to go up? And, you know, there might be the sense, well, once the investors get their pile of ApeCoin and they're able to sell those, there might be a pump in price or whatever. So you want to hold on to your ape coin because you think the price is going to go up. Why are you going to buy t-shirts with it? You know, why are you going to buy merchandise with it? Why are you going to use it in a game? And there's whole separate discussions about these play to earn games. They're sort of exploitive. So there's lots going on with the project. Zooming all the way out. I mean, we've talked about all of these sort of individual components, but looking at it from the very outside perspective I have, if you asked me to explain what happened in a sentence, I would say, Yuga Labs did an extremely good job building a brand. And now, thanks to the magic of cryptocurrency, they have created a whole lot of money out of thin air. That's exactly what happened. They've created a perceived value out of thin air so that they can then monetize that brand. And the monetization comes from selling this ape coin to the public. It's very difficult at this point to sell Bored Ape NFTs because there's just not a lot of people that want to buy those, you know? You're talking now the floor price is above $300,000. Who's going to buy that? You can't buy a fraction of a Bored Ape NFT. It's sort of hard to find buyers for that unless they're celebrities. But with fungible tokens, you can buy a fraction of those. People think they're getting involved in the project without having to buy, you know, a $3,000 Bored Ape NFT. That's the pitch. Mm-hmm. And is there precedent for the kind of Rumpelstiltskin process that Yuga Labs has just gone through over the past year? There's nothing new happening here. There have been altcoins that people have been creating and finding ways to make money on those or create value out of nothing since Bitcoin. I mean, once Bitcoin was introduced in 2009, a few years later, you know, it started to go up in value. And then people started creating what were called these altcoin projects, and they would create tokens out of thin air, and the developers would keep a bunch for themselves so that when the price went up later, they could sell those and they could make money, right? And then we saw all through 2017, there was this whole initial coin offering bubble where people were creating projects, and there was maybe nothing to that project other than a white paper, a poorly written white paper that said, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing, and it would all happen somehow in the future. And they would raise money with tokens, get those tokens listed on exchanges, and boom, make a lot of money. And we saw ICO, initial coin offerings. I mean, it was insane in 2017. They would get like tens of millions of dollars within like 30 minutes. They would sell out. And a lot of those projects down the road, now those tokens are worth nothing. I mean, what we're seeing now, it's all happened before. ApeCoin, by the way, also serves as like a governance token for the decentralized autonomous organization, which is neither autonomous or decentralized, by the way. ApeCoin serves as a governance token there. Well, one of the earliest DAOs called The DAO in 2016 
that went down very badly when it was hacked and it just fell apart. And a year down the road or so, the Security and Exchange Commission did an investigative report and they said very clearly that the Dow token was an unlawful securities offering. So we know that Dow governance tokens are in most cases, if not in every case, these are securities. So if I'm playing devil's advocate, what if I say, okay, Yuga Labs made money out of nothing, but that's what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin managed to make a new currency out of nothing, and now it's very widely used? Yes. I mean, Bitcoin sort of created money out of nothing. I think in the early years, though, I don't know that Bitcoin was used as sort of like this sort of Ponzi scheme, but it became that once people saw the money going up and people find ways to make money out of these things. Oh, well, if Bitcoin is going up in value, let's create another token and that'll go up in value and we can get a bunch in the beginning and we can sell them when they go up or we can wash trade, sell to each other and we can manipulate these markets because these exchanges, they don't have the same oversight of, say, a stock exchange. You know, some of them have no oversight at all. <laughs> I mean, if you look at ApeCoin, for example, I mean, uh, up to 40 percent of ApeCoin is being traded on a, an exchange called Binance. You know, and a good portion of ApeCoin is traded against right now a stable coin called Tether a dubiously backed stablecoin called Tether. So that's how, you know, these markets are rigged. And so what does the sort of parable of Yuga Labs and the Board Ape Yacht Club tell us about where the broader NFT industry is headed? Like, are we headed towards more corporatization and centralization? Or are we headed towards making all of these things into essentially cryptocurrencies, where does it go from here? All the NFT projects sort of run into the same problem, which is that there's not a lot of liquidity in NFTs, um, the collectible NFTs. There's not a big secondary market for these. Sometimes there's like almost no secondary market. It's very hard to sell an NFT after a certain point. It's hard to find buyers for these things. I mean, if you get in early on these projects, you kind of luck out. It might go up tenfold in price, but okay, when a board ape is two hundred thousand dollars, you're going to see another tenfold increase. No, you're not. You know, I mean, it just the market becomes smaller and smaller. You know, and it's harder and harder to sort of make that price go up. So ultimately, you might have these NFTs that you say that they're scarce or rare, but you need the liquidity of a fungible token. So ultimately, there's just going to be more ways that these projects find to create tokens that they can try to list on exchanges so they can get money out of the NFT projects in other ways, right? And we'll see that with DAO governance tokens. You know, Andreessen Horowitz is behind, uh, like, they've even backed a DAO project called Pleaser DAO. And what they do is they go out and buy high-value NFTs, and then people think, okay, I want to get on in that. And then the governance token for that DAO goes up in money. And there's also like fractionalized NFTs, which are also tokens. And those are, you know, very clearly securities offerings where you can buy a fraction of a NFT. And, you know, that's just a fungible token. What you hear a lot is these words like ways to democratize this project. Or, you know, make it more decentralized or whatever. Ultimately, it's just a way for people to get real money coming into the project. A cryptocurrency from the beginning has always had this problem. How do we get real money into the cryptocurrency ecosystem? And this is just another way to do that. 
NFTs appeal to people. I mean, their early promise was we're going to safeguard artists. We're going to give artists a way to make money off of their digital property. And now, you know, you can really own the original of your JPEG. So there are these sort of promises that appeal to people. When Beeple sold that $70 million JPEG, people were really bought that. They bought that idea. So it's brought a lot of money into the cryptocurrency system because it was an easy idea to sell to the public. It was uh, something that people wanted to believe in. Well, thank you so much, Amy. My head hurts, but in a good for me way. (laughs) My head hurts too, Julia. (laughs) Um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. 